I guess Monday night our time, on our way back. And I was considering all of the events that had gone on this summer. And I was thinking about things like timing, how we were able to spend just an excellent week with my father-in-law in pretty good health. And God provided that. How in the time of great need, God allowed us to be in the right spot at the right time to be able to help. How when my father-in-law got sicker, my parents were able to be around to take care of the kids. How whenever a kind word was needed for whichever family member was suffering that day, it came, whether it be Facebook or WhatsApp or friends on the ground in America, it came. Or whether we wondered, what are we going to do and how are all the pieces going to come together? How am I going to get flights switched and people in the right seats and all of that? And, and God knew all of it. And as I was coming back, reflecting on all that had gone on, I felt like the Lord was asking me one question. Am I as holy as you say I am? And I began to think about that for the next, well, 16 hours, because that's how long you've got on the flight. And I began to consider the words of the Lord as he shapes us and molds us. And one of the things that I came back to as I've gone, as we as a family have gone through this journey this summer, was we're invited into a life of holiness. And that's what I want us to talk about today. I'm excited about what God is doing as we work toward this new school year, which is what we consider our ministry year. We kind of go in school year terms, because uh, that's when we ramp up and summertime slows down and whatnot. But this idea of holiness in a day and age where relativism, where everybody can do their own thing is prevalent, holiness is completely different. Holiness is the purity in the midst of a broken and impure world. Holiness is the strength that comes not from ourselves, but that is supernatural, that's a gift from above. But you see, time and again throughout the scriptures, we're called to be holy. And I thought as we prepare our hearts for the message this morning, we should consider a few of those scriptures. So I want you to take a look at the screen and just meditate on the scriptures you'll see as they come up. And let that be our prayer this morning.
ask you a question. As we dive in this morning, as I get back into the hang of being up here, if I were to ask you honestly this question, how would you answer? How many of us feel holy today? Honestly, probably most would say no. It's kind of like the same, the old idiom in English that says, I'm no saint. There's a problem with that English saying, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it's dead wrong. (laughs) The same is true of this idea of holiness. We as Christ followers, believers of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the key to our redemption, the key to our salvation, the key to a bigger life than we could ever imagine is we're adopted into a holiness that's bigger than ourselves rather than self-holiness where we try to do it ourselves. So this morning I'd like us to look at a passage of Scripture that might seem kind of strange. But as we work our way through that and through a bit of Isaiah this morning, or if you're a Kiwi Isaiah uh, or from other parts, I want us to consider how God continues to be at work. We live in troubled times. That's no secret. But Jonathan Edwards taught us this, and I love this quote, so I wanted you to see it. There is a difference between having an opinion that God is holy. Most of us, if we asked, would say, yes, God is indeed holy. And he's gracious. And we love that. And we love to, uh, A.W. Tozer says, we love to intellectualize that. But there's a difference between knowing and having a sense of the loveliness and the beauty of that holiness and grace. Holiness is a fire that burns within. It's beautiful, it's gracious, and it's all-consuming. And I want us to consider today what it looks like if we understand who God is just a little bit. There's no way in the few minutes we have today or in all of eternity that we could ever come to the fullness of his holiness. But we have some pictures and we have some things that as we walk together, I believe we can learn from that. So open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. If you didn't bring a Bible, I'll throw some of the verses up there throughout. But you can also just listen along. Um, as we consider this idea that God is absolutely holy. Starting in verse 7, the writer of Hebrews says this. And for us, it might be a little discouraging to think about until we break it down, but he says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, love when the Bible says therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. And then this, 
make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. You see, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root shows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, for who a single meal sold his inheritance writes as the oldest son. Lord, if we've confessed your son as our savior, we are a holy people set apart as a royal priesthood. I ask today that we would be in awe of your great holiness and we would live out the invitation to a bigger life that you've called us to as sons and daughters of you, the Most High God. It's 2015. It's August. And things are going on all around the world that say there is no absolutes. If you're in America, all the talk right now is of the presidential election that's coming in like 18 months from now. And I was only home for seven weeks and I was very tired of hearing about it already. So if I don't have to see Donald Trump on TV again for a while, that's great. But you see, every four or six years in America, we redo it where we change the rules of the game and say we've got to figure it out and somebody's going to have a new idea that's going to change everything. And if it doesn't work, we'll scrap that and do it again and blame whoever came before us. There's no absolutes in that. There's no right way. We're going to make it up as we go. We look at the moral compass of the world around us. And right now, the big talking point, and we're going to move through many of these talking points this fall, but one of those is how do we handle people that say they're homosexual and want to get married? What do we as a church respond to? How do we respond in love to that while not accepting sin? How do we love the person and let the Holy Spirit work in their lives through that journey? Or how do we respond to a world that is in desperate need of provision? Much of the world is this morning sitting hungry and destitute. And there's such a small portion of us that have so much. How do we handle poverty? All over the world, the issue of immigration is massive. Uh, you look in Europe and people are closing their doors saying, we're not taking any more refugees uh, again, Donald Trump says, let's build a wall and not let any more come in here, which kind of goes in direct contradiction to come, uh, you who are weary and tired and uh, all of, I can't remember the exact saying, but it, our, our initial theme as, an, as a country in America was our doors are open. You can find a new start, an American dream here. And now we're fighting against these things because we're trying to define a path without God. We're trying to define where we go in life, but we're trying to do it on our own terms. And you say, well, well Mike, that's other people, but, you know, I've got everything figured out. I've got this, you know, I'm making good moral decisions. I'm doing the right thing. I'm not cheating on my taxes. Uh, I show up at church at least once a year. Um, I do this, that, and the other. And we've already missed the boat. Because we somehow, as a church body globally, have begun to think that at the core of our lives as Christ followers, it's about performance. And the minute we begin to think, much like a school system here, that the ultimate measure of success is your performance on a test, 
And when we bring that into our religious faith, we've missed the mark of a high and holy God. God calls us to holiness that's from Him. Some of you remember Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah famously, or God asks the question, who will go before me? And Isaiah says, here I am, here am I, send me. And that's, you know, you have a missions conference and we've always got to use that verse and it's so true. But there's so much more to that if you go back just a couple verses and you see that starting here in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 3. Isaiah was given a vision of the Lord that was like nothing he'd ever experienced. He was already a prophet, but this was, this was different. And they were calling the angels and the seraphs from above. God gives him this vision and look at what he sees. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, I don't know if you've had the privilege of reading through all 60 plus chapters in Isaiah. It's a long book and a good chunk of it is God proclaiming judgment on different people groups of the time, one of them being Israel. And as we understand that backdrop that God is predicting and doling out judgment on those that have chosen self-holiness over dependence on Him, in that same time, in that same setting, and in that same era where God was using prophets to speak his truth, he's saying even that day, the whole earth is full of the glory of God. Now, maybe I've started quickly and some of you wonder, yeah, Mike, I know we sing and we talk and we think about holiness, but what is it? Well, let's, let's consider it there. If God is a holy God, absolutely. In other words, he is unchangeably holy. He has always been set apart as God. And he always will be. But the word holy there, it, it's simple in Hebrew. It just means separate. You have to understand the tradition that goes with it to really get the fullness of it because it meant to be separate above beyond, exalted infinitely above what's going on below. And it's talking about the otherness of God. While we've been made in his own image, we are not God. You with me? But what happens, and culture continues to do this, and remember, Ecclesiastes says nothing new is under the sun. So we keep repeating the sins of our past and we keep trying to build our towers of Babel that say we are holy and God is no longer necessary. But to truly understand holiness is to come before where as you read verse 4, the earth shook and everyone bowed down at the sight and the presence of a holy God. What it means is that when you see the holiness of God, Tim Keller says, you realize that he's beyond the beyond. He's above the above. In other words, whatever our brain can fathom, he's bigger. Whatever our brain or our hearts can place him in whatever sort of box and category, he's bigger than that. 
That's why if you ask me to spend a lot of time talking about all the isms in Christianity of Calvinism, Arminianism, thisism, thatism, I'd much rather talk about how's our relationship with the Lord because he is above our categories. If you want to be really practical, when the holiness of God strikes you, Keller says, you realize he's so superlative, so beyond description and so perfect And he is so absent of anything crooked or limited or distorted or broken. The holiness of God tells us that he is not broken. He is beyond fault. He is everywhere all the time, knowing everything. He is incorruptible. Like I said, I was back in America And it saddened me to watch the news at night. Now, I I do love my home country. Please don't misunderstand. I like to go back and visit. But our country has become corrupted, whether it's in politics or whether it's in the fact that almost every night on the news we, we read this or watched the news of someone being shot or murdered or killed or hurt or tragedy happening all over. And I know America is not the only place that happens. Because human beings, we are corruptible. We can fall. We do fall short of the glory of God. But God has never fallen short, and he never will. God is so big that when you truly come into his presence and you experience even the smallness of his fullness, It takes our breath away. It takes our sufficiency away. And he replaces us with himself. Because as we come into a place where we understand and where we experience the holiness of God like Isaiah did, his purity, his holiness his love, his grace that demands us to be holy but then provides a way for that to happen, he breaks us down. If you continue on in Isaiah 6, you see that Isaiah the prophet became so overwhelmed with his perfection and his purity, not his own, but God's, he realized he can't trifle, he can't fight with God himself. And here's the thing. I believe as Isaiah was about to be called to a difficult type of ministry, he learned right up front as he experienced the holiness of God in just a small, small bit, he realized that when his life is hid in Christ, when his life is hid in the Lord, you cannot complain to God because he knows everything. God can handle our complaints, but we have no need to give them because God is provident. You cannot ignore God Because he knows where you live and he's always with you. (laughs) That's his holiness at work. You cannot question God because he is beyond reason. His ways are true and right and holy and they always have been and they always will be. And that's difficult for us to acknowledge. But it doesn't change who he is. The holiness of God is so great that when Isaiah came into that place, into an experience, even albeit a small one, of the holiness of God, look at what happened. 
Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hands, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Your sin paid for. Why was this necessary? Because in the verse before, Isaiah had said, Woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips. And not only that, but Isaiah began to confess not only his unrighteousness, but I believe, as you look at the context there, his self-righteousness of he and his people. That he was thinking what Paul would millennia later call our, filth, our righteousness is as filthy rags. And here Isaiah's saying, woe to me. I am not worthy. Nothing I can bring on my own is enough. But God, in his grace and in his mercy, broke Isaiah down to this point, has him on his knees, and then he begins to heal him. And he begins to raise him up for what he's been called to do. God doesn't break us just to hurt us, as we see in the Hebrews 12 passage. God doesn't discipline us. God doesn't bring us through these difficult times just to make us suffer. If we think that, we've missed the point of what God's word teaches. But God breaks us so that the healing can begin. So that as we become a very aware of our own short-sightedness, of our own self-righteousness or self-holiness, and we leave that before the altar, we leave that burden like pilgrim in Pilgrim's Progress, and we say, I've got to let it go at the cross. I can't carry it anymore. He begins to heal us and then prepare us for what is coming and what he has for us in life. You see, because through Jesus Christ, we not only get to experience the holiness of God, but we share in it. Hebrews 10, if you notice, if, you've, if you're a student of Hebrews 10, 10, listen to what it says about Jesus and our relationship there. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 1 Corinthians 1 says, It is because of him that you are in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. God's purpose for all of his children is simple, that we may share in his holiness and invite others into that. It's an essential attribute of God's character, this holiness, this idea that we are set apart to be different from the world. We are set apart living in a different way from a different set of standards because our God is holy. He is pure. He is true. He is right. He is dependable. And he never fails. As good a leader as you may have found in your life, human leaders can let us down. God never does. In our emotions, he may disappoint us. That's part of our journey with him as we learn to depend on him in those difficult times, in those periods of questioning, 
but we get the privilege of sharing in God's holiness. I believe that since I get the privilege of sharing with you, a, a, a hopefully largely Jesus-believing audience, that if I told you that man is made in the image of God, you would agree with me. Man and women are Christ's chosen people set apart in Christ for a, a royal priesthood called to a unique and wonderful call to make disciples of all nations. But the first thing is we have to accept is that we are made in his image. And most of agree, us agree with that. But then we get into life and we treat our bodies like a commodity. And we treat relationships like transactional affairs that don't have much meaning. But there's one, one situation where you see a littleness of holiness on display in a very special way when you get to do it in the body of Christ. And if you've ever been at a wedding, especially a Christian wedding, everybody, when the, when the bride, when the doors open in the back and the bride walks out, everybody looks at the bride, right? Next time you go to a wedding, don't look at the bride, look at the groom. <laughs> Wait for me. Because when you, I get to stand up here, so I see them both, and it's a blast. Because what happens is when those doors open, and that wedding gown, and I remember the grin on my face when I saw Melissa, but when the doors open and he sees his bride, there's about a million thoughts that go through his head. And men, admit it, if you were married, these all came through your head. The first is, whoa. There's this, yes, in our mind. And then there's this, holy cow, what am I about to do? And there's this very real fear of this person is coming into life with me and I have no idea what I'm doing. And then there's this, oh. And you go through this process as she walks down the step. And if you're a man, don't lie, you went through it too. But it's this fear not of wanting to run. Now, sometimes that does happen. But most of the time, it's not this fear of what's coming. It's, I'm not worthy of the beauty of that bride that's walking down the aisle to be my wife. But I get to share in life with her for the rest of our lives together. And to me, that's always given me a little picture of what it's like for us as followers of Jesus Christ to share in his holiness because we don't deserve it. <laughs> We're not good enough. We never will be on our own. But God, in his infinite love, gave us his son who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God and share in his holiness. And in so doing, he begins to refine us. I live in Hong Kong. In America, we use words like remodel. Here, we use words like renovate. And so every few years, you look at your flat and you decide it's time for a renovation. And I've discovered that renovation in Hong Kong means a hammer drill. Do you know what a hammer drill is? If you ever wonder what a hammer drill sounds like, come to our office any day because we always hear them. Because we are surrounded by residential complexes and somebody in those thousands of flats right here, somebody needs to renovate today. Their flat needs a change. The outside and the inside needs a change. And therefore, there's a drilling process that goes with that. 
I moan every time I hear it because it's our national anthem here in Hong Kong. But there's something to that as we seek to be holy in that. Because what happens is in our own lives, we tend to try to be holy. We keep trying to do it on our own strength. But as Hebrews teaches us, we share in the holiness. That doesn't, it's not telling us that we do the holiness. It's out of the overflow of the heart, out of the overflow of what God has placed inside us through Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We share in the holiness of God. We can't help but breathe it out to a world in need of hope. It's not we're trying to be holy. It is we're allowing God to transform us into who he's made us to be. So he does the renovation. And you know what? Sometime it's a pretty heavy drill on our heart. I sat down uh, a week after I preached at my wife's church for the first time. I'd never preached at that church. And I was intimidated because I didn't know these people particularly well. They're wonderful people, but they, they're Easterners. And in America, the Easterners don't give you a lot of body language other than somberness. And I love interacting with certain ones of you so I know that I'm not putting you to sleep. And that morning I preached and, and I did my best and I wondered, oh Lord, what happened? And then the pastor of the church calls and he says, I want to meet with you this week. And I'm like, oh no, what did I do? Did I say, was I heretic? Was I wrong? Was I this or that? And I began to worry in my spirit. What, why is he calling me? And he looks at me and he said, Mike, I heard something in your sermon and I want to I talk to you. I'm like, okay, here it goes. What's going on? And he said, how do you feel about, how God, about who God has called you to be? I said, well, I, I know I'm where I'm supposed to be. And he said, no, that's not what I asked. I said, I listened to you on Sunday twice. They have two services. And he said, and it came across both times. He said, have you accepted who God has called you to be by his grace? I said, what do you mean, pastor? And he says, I think you're struggling to accept the grace of God that has qualified you to be his leader in his calling in Hong Kong. He says, I don't think you have come to the point in life where you've truly accepted the grace of God to be the man he's called you and equipped you to be. I think you're so hard on yourself that you're still trying to live up to God's call on your life. And talk about feeling like I got kicked in the gut. I'm supposed to get up here every Sunday and preach grace. And I will. I believe wholly in the grace of God. Yet he was dead right. In my own life, I keep trying to measure up. I keep feeling like I'm not good enough. Like I'm too young. I'm too this. I didn't go to this. I didn't do that. I this, that, and the other. And I can be very hard on myself. And I will be today, I'm sure. But he said, Mike, what if you just sat back and you hung out with Jesus. He said, what would that look like for you? He said, it would wash you. And so he invited me to do that. And so what did I do? The family was out, and so I went out on the porch, and I sat there, and I read 1 Corinthians. And I was so touched by 1 Corinthians 13 of all the ways God's love abounds. 
and I was convicted of, I want to be giving that love away to others. I counseled somebody that's struggling and making just awful decisions, but needs Jesus. I can't condemn his decisions if I can't let him see that the love of Christ transcends our need for physical whatever we're looking for. But I need to be able to give him the grace and the peace that surpasses all understanding. And that's from, not from myself. That's from the Lord. I share in his holiness. And he's got me right where he wants me. And I have to trust in the holiness of God that walks through every step of the journey in loss, in discipline, and in triumph. And as we go through those journeys, he changes us. The holiness of God renovates and changes us. Our fathers, if you had a good father, they disciplined you out of love. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. But here's the thing. We are to make every effort in this journey of holiness to follow the pattern the Lord has given before us. And that's to live in peace with all men. Rather than being known for what we're against, you've heard me say it before, we should be known for who we're for. We're for Jesus Christ and for inviting others in and making disciples of all nations. We're invited to invite others to be holy and see the Lord and the holiness of Him, not of our own holiness, but see to it that no one misses the grace of God. And that no bitter root, it's practical, as we dwell in the holiness of God, as he refines us and burns us, holiness is often equated with fire, we realize that he burns away all the, the stubble, all the junk that can cause us to be bitter towards somebody that hurt us 10 years ago or more. Because if we're bitter and if we're missing out on that, we're not inviting others into the grace of God. And that's what I was being taught this summer that if I'm not living in the grace of God, I'm not sharing in his holiness and I can't be giving it away to others the way he has so graciously given it to me. And so my prayers changed. When I pray with the kids now, I'm praying, Lord, help us to give your love and your grace away the way you have given it to me and help us to be thankful for that adventure. Are we? But you see, there's another element to this. And I've asked an expert to come help us out with this last bit. So Pastor Kelvin, if you don't mind, there's pitfalls that come with seeking to live a holy life. I've just given kind of a brief overview, but Pastor Kelvin has been a pastor to pastors for, you should be on. Um, you've been a pastor to pastors for, I don't know how long. No. <laughs> Quite a few years. A district superintendent in the U.S., and um, there's a crisis amongst the pastoral community in the United States. Too many are falling away for reasons um, of behavior and lack of holiness. And it concerned the district I was in and the others too. So four of us districts got together and said, let's uh, track this and see what would happen. So we're talking a five-year survey of men and women who would leave ministry not of their own choosing. And that would be because of, say, some, at one end, a deep moral failure down to other things of just uh, inabilities in certain areas. But they didn't choose to leave. I'll give you the summary of that. Over the five years, we talked to about 150 pastors who'd left in those five years. And uh, we categorized down into three p 
places, five places, uh, what might be the main reason. Three of them were to do with ministry skills and uh, performance. Two of them were to do with the heart. And uh, of those 100-plus uh, pastors, every one of them uh, would be characterized under the, idea, under the label failing to implement daily personal disciplines. And the other one where about 90% of them failed was does not have a close accountability person in their life. And so when you go through that, it does seem to me that um, uh, whether we're in ministry or whether we sit in the pew, that the safeguard for our Christian life and for maybe retaining the holiness factor in our life is to be sure that we daily, personally, practice some spiritual discipline. I'm not saying we, you know, we sit down with a clock and a Bible, but where they consistently put time aside for God and uh, where they nurtured their Christian life. Every one of those uh, men that was missing. And so there's a, it's a fairly strong thing. It's, you talk about stop cigarette smoking and you're not likely to die of cancer so often. And uh, this is a clue in the Christian life too. The other one was accountability partners. And again, I think uh, all of us here uh, add value to our life when we have somebody who walks the path with us, who we trust and who trusts us and who's got the boldness, as that pastor did with you, to look into the eye and say, here's something I see that I don't like, and for us to make that change. You know, the most uh, common excuse of, of these uh, people who, when they were asked, was, well, I guess I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And uh, you might have said, well, therefore, there but for the grace of God go I. Well, it is true that we're sinners saved by grace, but I want to say that I'm no longer marked by that. That does not define me. I'm a child of God, a loved child of God. I'm following him. And yes, sin comes into my life, but I'm not marked or defined by that. And if we can keep that as our defining factor, then we're more likely to fail into it. The other thing, too, I've never met in my many years, nearly 50 years of ministry, I have never met a pastor who failed who said to me, you know, I got out of bed today and I said, I think I'm going to destroy my ministry. None of them ever said that. But incrementally, over a long time, step by step, they move towards the brink of the cliff. And in pastoral ministry, there's a lot of uh, invincibility in the makeup. It can't happen to me. Yes, it can. And if it happens to pastors, it can happen to any one of us. And so pray for your pastor and the staff. They need it. And uh, I uh, don't ever think that because we're in ministry that we're safe. The whole I think all of us here would like to say we want to finish well in our Christian life. And uh, I can just give you these two clues. If you want to do that, then please introduce a pattern of daily personal spiritual discipline and find an accountability partner not your spouse, someone of the same sex as you who can punch you when you need it and not get it back. Accountability partner. Thanks, Calvin. I asked Kelvin to share that because when he'd first shared with me, I can't remember the first time I heard him say that they talked with 150 pastors that had had to leave ministry not of their own choice but because of some type of missing the mark. 
Satan wants nothing more than to break the church. And he wants to do that by discrediting Christ's followers. But Jesus, in his high priestly prayer in the end of John, prayed that God, through the Holy Spirit, would protect us from the evil one. He prayed that we might have strength, that we might be unified. How do we grow in unity? Well, we hold each other accountable. You get with those people that ask those questions. You spend time with the Lord alone and together. What if, as we got started in this new ministry year, we we took to heart a little bit of what Pastor Kelvin just shared, and we got together at 9.30 next Sunday morning, and we cried out to God, saying, God, help us. Help us personally to order our lives in such a way that we share in your holiness and don't do it ourselves. Second, God, help us to spur one another on. That's what holding each other accountable is all about. It's spurring one another on toward love and good deeds in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's God's word in life. I always want to be able to have the chance to let people know that God's word is relevant today right where we are. And Pastor Kelvin, time and again, hits on such a key principle for us as Christ's followers. Our identity has changed when we understand that we are His. We are the sheep of His pasture, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that we may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Our lives are no longer our own. We don't have to solve it ourselves. Praise the Lord for that, because if we do, we tend to make a mess of it. But when we take the advice of the pastor that met with me this summer, and when we listen to the sage words that were given a few moments ago, And when most importantly, we listen to what we find right here, we learn a powerful truth. We're invited to hang out with God and let him renovate and change us, molding us into the image of his son, that others may see Christ in us, the hope of glory, and rejoice and give God credit for how we are holy, how we're different from this world around us. People might not like all the decisions you make, but no one will criticize you for being above reproach. They'll criticize you for not letting them get away with moral failure, but they can't criticize you for being holy. Do we believe that we are a holy people? Do we believe that God's grace is sufficient for us? Do we believe that he has set us apart for such a time as this, even in a broken world that we find ourselves in, that we can be used by him for his glory to change the world? The answer is, I hope yes. I believe it. I had to go through some discipline this summer, and I shared that with you, not to say Mike's a failure, but to say God is gracious. In his love, he breaks us down and renovates our hearts. And he invites us to walk together in those journeys. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
belonging to God and sharing in His holiness. Let's come back at 9.30 next Sunday and let's pray that God would use us to invite others to share in His holiness. That we would not lack in confidence in Him anymore. That our lives would be so ordered and we would be so open that we're accountable one to another and to Him. That we do all things for His glory and that others see Him in us and rejoice. Lord, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for those times when You refine us in painful situations. I thank you for those times when we get to see you at work and must just sit back and marvel at your great grace and your great provision. But I thank you most of all that you are a holy God, worthy of all of us. And so I pray that we would offer our lives to you every moment of every day and that we would invite others into the life-changing relationship with you. In this we pray, amen. May I invite you to stand with us.